0: You're listening to a
1: Centro Church Podcast. My next guest uh, needs a little bit of an introduction um, because he's been described from everything from Bear Grylls and Crocodile Dundee's love child uh, to Centro's version of Crocodile Dundee to everything he's our local neighbourhood pest man uh, and uh, pest man, Uh, not not local neighbourhood pest. Um... But um, a couple of years ago, uh, Peter Zimmerman walked into our, walked into our church. And, and since then, he has just taken on every role possible. He oversees our, our new Christians here at our Ipswich location. Him and his wife, Rochelle, are just an amazing gift to the body of Christ. And we're lucky to have him and share a little bit about his story tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, can we please give a massive welcome to Peter Zimmerman? Would shake your hand, but there we go. Just going to bow. First interview in the new auditorium. What do you think?
0: Um, I think first I've got to clear something up. I don't know about Crocodile Dundee and Bear <laughs> Grylls, maybe Mr. Bean and uh, <laughs> Russell Coit, maybe. Oh, here
1: we go. We're gonna, it's going to be a good night tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Um, So, Peter, tell us a little bit, so, you know, some of you may know you, some of us may not. What what do you do for a day job? What's Peter's week look like?
0: Yeah, uh, I own a small business and run that myself. It's pest control. Um, So
1: Give yourself a plug.
0: Go on. (laughs) Hello, Brett. (laughs) Um, Yes, mate, I treat cockroaches, ants, spiders, silverfish do lots of termite work, um, inspections, house inspections, um, so all that sort of thing. My number's in the book, so if anybody needs me. Fantastic. And um, so you're a pest man. Uh, You're married. Tell
1: us a little bit about your amazing wife.
0: Yes, I'm married to the beautiful, wonderful Rochelle. Have been married now for six years. There we go. (laughs) Just a bunch of kids. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Rochelle supports me in all that I do, uh, within the church and without. Um, she is uh, my backing, and uh, yeah, I love her madly.
1: Oh, that's, that's amazing. And so um, tell us just a little bit about what you and Rochelle, amongst others, do on a Saturday morning.
0: Saturday mornings, we have a, a great group of volunteers who go up to Queen's Park and... Um, we put on a barbecue for the homeless, for those who are marginalised, for those who are on the poverty line. Um, yeah, we just, we use our time in the park as a vehicle to get us there to present the gospel of Jesus. Uh, the, the idea of the barbecue in the park was never ever just to, to feed people. Um, spiritual food, yes, but not, not uh, sausages and eggs. But uh, we've had a great time while we've been there, met lots of lovely people. It really has become uh, a family to us. And um, so far, would you believe we've been doing this for two years so far, we've seen eight people come to the Lord over that time.
1: That's awesome. So um, do do you have a particular story, um, like you've probably got many stories, but do you have a particular story that's come out of your work in the park?
0: Yeah, there's many great stories, but probably one of the recent ones was we spend a lot of time um, sitting beside people and just listening to their story. Um, You know, we don't go in with guns blazing and, and hit people over the head with the Bible. So it's building a relationship with people. And for the last couple of months, I've been just spending time with a big fella called Phil And very slowly, very gently, just getting to to know Phil and just listening to his story. Well, a couple of Saturdays ago, Phil pretty much stunned me. He said, I've got a couple of mates that want to come to the park, he said, but my my mates asked me, he said, what do they do up there? And he said, well, he said, I think that they're really good people who have done really well in their life, have never had any problems, but they just want to give back to us. (laughs) So I told Phil a little bit about my story and he was pretty much gobsmacked, um, that we, we were all hurting, we are all broken ourselves, um, but Phil also told me, he said, uh, the other thing that I've appreciated, now in this time, in this last two months of sitting next to Phil, I've not spoken to him about Jesus because I just wanted to get to know Phil and so Phil said to me, oh the other good thing about coming up here is he said, we don't get hit with the Jesus thing. So, immediately, I get this little angst in my heart, you know, oh, Lord, what can I do? So, for the next half an hour, I presented the gospel to Phil without him he- even knowing. And he left, and he wasn't offended. So, that's because I- I'd built a rapport with him, so, yeah. Brilliant. So, so that's Peter
1: now. So, pe- that's Peter Zimmerman, uh, 28, I believe, um, currently. Um, so uh, that's Peter Zimmerman. Now, uh, we, we've titled our interview tonight Four Minutes to Live," and so we, we, we'll hit on that story a bit later. Um, but take us right back. What you you you, um, you know? Let's take let's go right back to your, your the early years of Peter, the early years of your childhood. Take tell us what that looked like for you.
0: Okay, I was I was born in, into a Christian family. At the age of seven, my dad said to me, if you go into your room and kneel by your bed and ask Jesus to come into your heart to forgive your sins, he will give you eternal life. So a seven-year-old boy, I thought that was pretty wonderful, so I did that. But my life didn't change, I didn't feel any different, but as I grew up, um, there's quite a lot that had happened in my life to harden my heart. As I grew up, I walked further and further away from God. Um, nobody knew me as a Christian, even in uh, early adult life. But it was a foundation, that foundation of God, that foundation um, that had kept me. You know, I think all of, all of my life up until 2010, which we'll probably get to later, if you'd asked me if I was saved, I would have said yes. Yes. But I, I honestly believe I had Jesus in my my head and not my heart. Um, there were some pretty significant times as I grew up that led me to, to this point tonight.
1: So you mentioned that like, there, there were some things in, in your early life that hardened your heart. Uh, just, just take us through what, what that meant for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, my dad was was a big man. He was he was a tough man. Um, he was a well digger when he was younger, so he, he physically he was unstoppable. But he was a very hard man, and I think because I was the eldest, um, my dad was particularly hard on me. Yeah, my dad used to um, beat me pretty pretty much with. Um, you know, the, started with a, with a leather strap, ended up with a lo, an ironing cord and the day that uh, I stood before him and he flogged me and I showed no emotion and I never moved, I'd built a hardness in my heart already, my dad just looked at me and walked away but from that point on he started to use his fists. So, you know, what the Bible says really is true. I, I tried to to overlook what he had done and just write it off but an offence had built in my heart and from that offence imaginations came and I mean I had murderous thoughts towards my dad those imaginations turned into a stronghold of hate and I had a, a, a white hot hatred towards my dad as I grew up and really it wasn't a natural hate this was this was something deep and powerful from that hatred, though, came a, a bitter root. And yeah, it was. So we'll come to, we'll come back to your relationship
1: with your dad um, a bit later. So um, so your early early life, you probably describe yourself as you know you'd hardened your heart by that point. And you'd learnt to show no emotion. So you know when you moved into adulthood, you know around that eighteen year old, I think we've got a, a photo of Peter at eighteen, a strapping young young man at eighteen. There he is. <laughs> Peter Zimmerman at 18, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I don't think they make shorts that short anymore. Um, probably for reasons uh, that we won't go into tonight. But and that, that's you as a young guy, always kind of outdoorsy. Hey, mate, if you've got the leg, show it. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Um, so that's, that's coming from a, a place of jealousy. So you at 18, um, you know, what, what did that look like for Peter? Uh,
0: 18, well, 17, I, I got my car, my first vehicle, and really freedom came for me. Um, by the time I was 18, late 18, uh, I bought my first four-wheel drive and once again freedom meant um, going bush, it meant uh, exploring some of the remotest places in the in the country, in the, the Kimberleys, the Gulf, uh, Cape York, it meant getting away from home and um, just, I found peace, what I thought was peace, I, I found it in the bush, I found it that I could, I could hide, I could be myself, uh, I could test myself. Um, really, that testing, as you'll probably hear later, was just utter foolishness. But, um, yeah, it was a, just a place that I could hide.
1: So I think we've got, we've got a couple of photos. I'll, I'll, get your, um, I'll get you to explain what happened in each photo, just to give us a bit of a backstory. Um.
0: Oh, that's another trip up into um, Prince of Charlotte Bay, it's pretty wild country up there. We, um, we were catching all these mackerel, Spanish mackerel. That one's probably around um, 85 pound. Um, yeah, the, the, the barrier reef came within six kilometres of our camp, so you could reach the barrier reef, do your snorkelling and your fishing, whatever you wanted, uh, in a little tinny when the weather was right. Uh, also lots of crocodiles in the area. OK, next photo...
1: Well, that beard oh my goodness talk us through that thing the beard and
0: the beast yeah I had the Ned Kelly thing going on for a while Um, that was 1983 and I was on a round Australia trip Uh, I was working in the Northern Territory for a while and uh, when we finished working we we decided just to go hunting and fishing and camp by the billabongs for a while and I did a little bit of bow hunting and um, yeah I ended up with that bull but um, the beard was just a case of uh, not wanting to shave <laughs> I wish I could grow something like that um, this is another discussion of something I later. think I think that's the trimmed stage
1: yeah, yeah. oh my goodness uh, next photo please oh there we go where's that and what is that
0: no, that's in Mongolia, that's uh, an elk, that, um, that was in 1997, yeah, that was my second trip overseas, hunting, yeah. Fantastic, next one. Yeah, that's in the camp in uh, Mongolia, that's uh, some of the boys, some of my, the guides, um, jeep drivers and um, interpreters. Very friendly bunch. That's awesome. Next one, please. Where's that and what is that? Uh, That's on a place called Dunbar Station. There's around 3,300 square kilometres of land in the Gulf and uh, we had permission to camp and fish and hunt up there. Um, I think I'm around 25, 26 there and that's a a ute full of pigs. (laughs) As you do? As it would be. (laughs) Oh, this one is um, a deer from New Zealand, um, probably only about eight or nine years ago, yeah, from the, from the North Island. didn't even know they existed. <laughs> and I think this is the last one. Where's this? Oh, yeah, this is um, Curramine Beach, just south of Cairns. I had a mate living up uh, right next to the beach, and I'd go up there oh, for half a dozen years stay with him for a couple of weeks at a time, three weeks at a time, and, um, yeah, we did lots of fishing, caught lots of crayfish, just living the dream. So, obviously, you're an
1: outdoorsman, you love the outdoors. Probably, just from those photos, you probably found yourselves in a lot of dangerous situations. How did you, like, did you deliberately put yourself in those situations, or was that something that you just kind of found yourself in?
0: I think I had... Um, a false sense of bravado I think I had um, a recklessness recklessness in me that was brought about by uh, I'd never valued myself, Um, most of my life I was told I was worthless Um, as try as I liked to really I, I sought the approval of my dad I just wanted recognition that I'd done something, I'd achieved something and it never came so I lived life really recklessly and I did some stupid things um, and if it wasn't for the hand of God I would not be here tonight. One, one example is uh, we were snorkeling for crayfish on a very remote part of Cape, Cape York and I came up for air and no more than myself to mark in front of me was a very large saltwater crocodile. Um, I swam as fast as I could, I think I would have beaten... Ian Thorpe, (laughs) over the coral, and uh, yeah, I I escaped that one. Uh, Another night, I decided with all of my false bravado that I would stand in the middle of a place called Cahill's Crossing, which was a causeway um, that took you into Arnhem Land. And this was at midnight, and as the tide came over the crossing, large mullet were banging into my legs, and I was the only one fishing, I probably fished for half an hour and the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I shone the torch and probably 50 metres away was a very large croc heading in my direction. I really... I I certainly didn't want to die, you know, but I put myself in positions and places that tested myself to the limit and I think that really was born out of a loneliness, born out of... uh, Searching for approval, um, that never came. So, uh, so you
1: you're kind of in this stage where, you, to use the word that you, or, or the words that you use, false bravado. Um, if you could take me back to your mindset back then, what were some of the things that were running through your mind? You know, when you're you know, standing on that causeway or, or something like that, what was like what was running through your head? Like I don't even care, or or was was it? Um, you know, what, what, was, what were some of the thoughts that were hammering through your brain at the time?
0: Because I had accepted Jesus, or thought I did, at seven, seven years of age, all this time that I'm doing these crazy things, if you'd have asked me, I would have said, yes, I believe I'm saved. But I remember the time when I, I actually mouthed this, I spoke it out, that oh well if I end up in an accident or I'm grabbed by a crock I'll cry out Jesus save me and forgive my sins. Well there came a point in my life where God showed me that that wasn't the truth. That uh, what I was doing was reckless. Um, I didn't consider my own life, I didn't consider the life of my mum or anybody else. yeah, so I, I think it was just, um, I, just I, I just didn't care. I, I didn't purposely put myself into those dangerous situations. Well, you would if you walk out onto a causeway at midnight. But, uh, but... Um, you I know, accidentally y- fell into a
1: causeway and fished <laughs> for half an hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: I, I was dream fishing. Um, yeah. So, look, Peter now,
1: if you could go back and tell 28, 29, 30-year-old Peter, what would you tell him?
0: Stop and think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good.
1: Um, so, you mentioned that, that there came a time, because you made the decision and, and you accepted Jesus into your heart you know, by going to your bed, but, you know, you said that you believed that you are a Christian, but it didn't alter your life. Did that change? And when did that happen?
0: Yeah, it didn't. It didn't alter the way I lived. Um, I started drinking when I was sixteen years of age, and that became a real problem by the time I was in my twenties. Um, yeah, I did some silly things. I enjoyed what the world wanted to throw at me. Uh, I, I tried to fill my life with with stuff. Uh, back in the early '70s and, and '80s, you probably remember a bloke by the name of. Um, somebody. I know the one. <laughs> <laughs> Albie, Albie Mangles. Yeah, Albie Mangles. He said that um, adventure hadn't quenched his appetite, but had created it. So I took that on as my mantra. I, I thought, well, this is what's going on. Uh, I just need to travel. I need to buy things. I need to fill my heart. There was a loneliness in my heart. Not only was there bitterness and hurt, and brokenness, but there was this deep loneliness, the more of a cry for acceptance. Um, and, and I tried to fill that, that void with everything I could. In the periods of time that I was in the bush or, or on an adventure, I seemed to find times of peace. But as soon as I came home, the peace left. It wasn't a true peace and it was a, it was a false way of living. So,
1: what was the turning point? What was the catalyst for the change? Talk us through that. Talk us through Four Minutes to Live.
0: Okay. It was 1997 in August, and I was on my way to work, uh, just living life like every other day. Wasn't going to church, uh, wasn't walking with the Lord, and I was on my way to work, and uh, it was a very pea soup uh, thick fog and I got halfway to work at the back of um, Talagala, where I, I turned off at Minden and would drive across the back of Tallagalla to the mines. Uh, as I came down into the gully at six o'clock in the morning there was uh, shattered glass all over the road, there was um, uh, skid marks, there was stains on the road. Uh, you could see that an accident had just happened but there was no, uh, no wrecked vehicle so I got to work and all the, all the blo- uh, boys in the mines were gathered around the mines manager and I found out that my good friend and my foreman had been killed that morning when a horse stepped out in front of him. So I, I thought about that during the day, that was pretty hard hitting and on my way home just this, this one thought came as I drove past that accident site. It was just one thought down deep inside of me, and and said, "How long did he have to live?" So I simply measured the time from the accident site to where he turned off, and and I turned off each morning to come to work, out on the Toowoomba Highway. And it was exactly four minutes. So I would every day for the next uh, three weeks, I drove past, and I thought, "How long did he have to live?" What would he have done in that four minutes if he had known that these were the last four minutes of his life? Would he have rung his wife up and and said, honey, I love you? Would he have spoken to the kids? Would he have turned around and gone home? A couple of weeks after that, I ended up in Mongolia and it was the last day of the trip and We pulled up down a side street and I got out of the car and I ran to the main road, to the edge of the main road. We were souvenir hunting. It was the last day there. And as we do in Australia here, I looked right and I saw a a vehicle about 80 metres away. I looked to the left and I saw a truck about 15, 20 metres away. I looked to the right and thought, that car's not getting any closer, so I stepped out onto the road. Uh, All I heard was tyres screeching, Um, A horn blowing and a hand grabbed me by the left hand shoulder, uh, lifted me off the ground and pulled me backwards and of course as someone sneaks up behind you and touches you on a shoulder, you immediately turn that way and I looked up at the truck as it skidded past where I had stood only a millisecond before and a thought penetrated into my heart straight away, how long did you have to live? So I have no doubt that that was the voice of God, and I had no doubt that God was calling me. So I looked over at my mate, um, Henry. Henry's a spud farmer from Melbourne. He probably weighs 120 kilos. He's a big boy, and he was as white as a sheet and shaking, and he said, "'Mate, I thought you were dead.'" Well, I can tell you, as I walked across the street, I made a promise to God that I would come back to church, And I did that for the next, that was 1998, but for the next 10 years I was simply a pew sitter. I went to church but my life never changed. Uh, I still drank, I still enjoyed everything the world wanted to throw at me, but I became involved in a home group or life group and little by little very slowly my life started to change. I started to pick the Bible up a little bit more. Um, I started to pray intermittently. But the turning point for me was I was sitting on a mountain in Kilcoy, and uh, we were hunting red deer. And usually I'm up there on my own. But this particular night, there was six other blokes around the campfire. And it seemed to me like The gates of hell opened up on that mountain that night. I heard for the first time men who I'd known for years blaspheme God and speak in ways that I don't ever want to hear again. And it broke my heart. I just started to weep. I left the mountain and I've never been back. I came home and I gave my heart to Jesus. I took Jesus out of my head and I put him in my heart. And my life has changed 180 degrees from that time. Awesome. So since that time, since that
1: moment, what are some of the significant highlights? So, so did you get to patch it up between you and, and your dad?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I came back to the Lord. I put Jesus in my heart. My salvation was real and I was at church one night uh, in what was called the labyrinth so it was it was 20 prayer stations around the church and I remember getting to prayer station number six and on the card in front of me simply was said is there anything between you and your dad well that was it for me I stood there a blubbering mess and I really knew the Lord was touching my, my heart that night. So I spoke to Rochelle and I said, righto, I've, I've got to go and see my dad. I've got to ask for forgiveness. There's, there's none of this asking forgiveness from my dad for the things that he did, but I just wanted him to know that I was sorry for my part, for being a rebel and for the things that I had done. So the next day I thought, oh, he can wait till Tuesday. But once again, the Lord put his finger on that and said, no, do it this afternoon. So I went and did that. Now, all this bitterness and hurt that I'd had in my heart, all this loneliness, when I walked up into the house and I sat before my dad and I asked him to forgive me. Oh. The freedom that came... God wiped it all away in that one afternoon. He brought freedom from the hurt. He healed my heart. He restored a relationship with my dad. I only had another probably two years with my dad before he developed dementia. But at least all that hurt, all the bitterness was gone... I think that night God reached down inside of me, and He tore out that bit of root, because I couldn't do that on my own. It really was miraculous. There was no it wasn't in layers. there was no procedures I had to go through. I was simply obedient, and He healed me right there and then. It's great..
1: Can I just ask you, on, on that point, because I think that there's maybe people that have a similar story, not necessarily in the terms of their father, but maybe somebody's done something or something's happened to them that's kind of caused them to, and, and, and your reaction was false bravado, what, what would you say to young Peter that's holding on to that hurt, holding on to that bitterness, what would you say now, knowing what you know?
0: Well, knowing what I know now, I know there's a better way. I know that offences, holding on to an offence just really is like cancer in the bones. It's like drinking poison. It, 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 it just gets worse. The, the longer you hold on to an offence, the worse it gets, um, especially if you allow that bitter root to develop. Uh, what I would say to young Peter now would be there is a better way. There is a heavenly Father that loves you so much uh, that he doesn't want you to hold that in your heart. Uh, let go and release an offence. Talk to the, to the person about it. Go directly without haste and, and talk about it. Don't hold it because yeah, an offence is, is something powerful. It's, it is really soul-destroying. Awesome. So take us, take us through maybe three highlights
1: of post-Mountaintop Peter, three highlights uh, of your modern walk with God. Just three, three, of, three that stand out to you the most, whether it be in, like interactions that you've had or moments that you've had
0: with God. Just t- talk us through a couple of those. Let me start with the low. When we were young blokes, we often thought that if we had trouble, you know, you, you ended up going to whatever, if you had trouble, that it was easier to uh, change your name and go to the territory Because the territory to us was the last great place. It was a wilderness where you could just disappear. (laughs) So I never ever thought about suicide. But at the lowest point in my life, that's what I thought about. And I'm here tonight because of my mum. My mum saw through what was happening in my heart. And I remember the afternoon that that I went around there and I was so broken and distraught that mum saw that. And I saw the hurt on her face and I didn't want to go through with it. So mum, I honour you tonight. So the highlights in my life Well, one is definitely marrying Rochelle. (laughs) Another highlight is coming here to Centro. Uh, Can you believe it's three and a half years now? Um, We have a a beautiful family here and uh, we really do feel at home. Um, Yeah, we've been so blessed. I think, for me... One of the highlights is, in 2014, it was during uh, the first night of 2014 in the Life Group. And the Life Group leader said to me, as well as everybody in the group, tonight, what is the one thing that you want God to do for you this year? And I simply asked that God would teach me how to love I missed that as I grew up. I didn't know the love of my father. And I really didn't know know how to express myself to other people. I didn't know what love was. So I asked God to show me how to love. And praise God, he has done exactly that because he pours his love into me to flow out onto other people. The highlight of recent years is serving people in the park. It's having a heart that has been broken for God. It's having a heart that's been remoulded. It's a, a heart that was uh, taken from me that was of stone and God reshaped it and remoulded it, poured his love into it so that I can pour love into other people. That's great.
1: Well, thank, thank you so much, Peter, for sharing your story. And, and, I, and can I just say thank you so much. You are truly a giant that walks among us. Can we just thank Peter for sharing his story? Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast.